0: Podcast One Production. Oh, that's a one. Big questions. G'day, it's Adam Spencer here. And welcome to the Big Questions on Podcast One. There's one thing I love doing. It's surrounding myself with smart interesting people and asking them stuff. Learning from people who really know their craft. And that's what The Big Questions is all about. And I'm very excited to be joined by a man known as the surfing scientist, Australian science communicator extraordinaire, Ruben Mim. And how are you, Ruben? Very well, Adam. Ruben's book, Big Fat Myths, answering the question, when you lose weight, where does the fat go?, is one of the great popular science books of the last few years for mine. This is this is just wonderful. It's one man's exploration of his own body and then a really simple but beautifully deep question. Let's wind the clock back to March 19,
1: twenty thirteen. Why do we start this journey there, Ruben? Ah, it's the day I stepped onto the scales. I just bought a set of scales and I'd been eating less and moving more for since that was my New Year's resolution, so since the 1st of January that year. Okay, so you are about eight, nine weeks, something. Yep, okay, yep. yeah, we're, we're nearly three months into my uh, New Year's resolution. To, I'd quit the ciggies, uh, so I was likely to gain weight according to you mm. know, what's supposed to happen. Anyway, I bought some scales, jumped on them, and lo and behold, six and a half kilos had come off. Wow. And I didn't notice it in the mirror. So it was a bit of a shock. Like I, I thought, oh geez, it really does work well. This um, eating less, moving more thing. Yeah. And um, and so I jumped around, and danced for a little while. But then this question popped into my head, which was, where did six and a half kilos go? I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Mm. We'll get there in a second. Why had you decided to lose a bit of weight? Why did Why did you take on that New Year's resolution? Ah, uh, so uh, I was. About five kilos overweight, literally, Mm -hmm. so into the uh, BMI range that says overweight. Yep. And so that was, I mean, didn't like the look of that in the mirror. My pants were getting a bit tight. A bit squeezy. And also, I was a smoker at the time, Mm -hmm. and so I was setting myself up for one of those diseases that you can totally avoid, and more than any of that, though- I was just a bit embarrassed because I'd just been on play school as the first ever resident scientist and I was uh-huh. thinking, right, so I'm overweight and I'm a smoker. What kind of a role model am I? <laughs> the,
0: the, the thought of you nicking up to Big Ted during a during a music break, I'm oh, you <laughs> yeah. can
1: you
0: spare me a durry? Just well, one.
1: It's, it's Jemima you've got to watch out oh, for. Oh, really? She's the, she looks all that in a bag of chips. She's running around. B1 and B2. I suspected
0: it. Okay. And and you you say that the way that you lost weight, you you put it down to a spreadsheet as much as anything, which (laughs) even by your standards is a little bit nerdy. But what do you mean? How did you lose that? 6.5 6.5 kilos.
1: So all I did really was g- I jumped onto a website and found out how many kilojoules am I supposed to eat in a day mm-hmm. to, to just keep my weight stable. Average adult male, is that like the eight? Is it 8,700? That's an average adult. So that's the average of women and men. Yep. So for men, it's a bit higher generally because we're a bit heavier and there's more of us. So yep. for me, at that weight that I was, I was able to eat 11,700 kilojoules a day and that would have maintained my weight. Uh-huh for the exercise I was doing etc cetera, etc cetera, which is quite a lot mm. I was surprised even by that, because I've never sat down and done any of this maths until then. So it said on this calculator, which is the just the New South Wales government's health website, that's where I went, and it said, if you cut out 2,000 kilojoules a day, I'd lose half a kilo a week. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice, that's what they say is a sort of healthy, safe, because as much as you
0: might want to lose eight kilos in two weeks, mm. probably not healthy, could be a lot of dehydration, probably hard to keep off in the long term, etc. half a kilo is a good healthy weight loss range?
1: Good achievable um, result, yeah. But we can come back to those um, questions about what you can and can't achieve and what's healthy and dangerous and safe because there's a lot, a lot of myths out there about this, none of which I knew at this point Mm -hmm. in my life. So um, the other thing that I decided is if you cut out 2,000 kilojoules from your food intake but you also do an extra 2,000 kilojoules worth of exercise on top of that, then you can go even quicker, right? So that's all I did. I went for an extra long walk every day because I didn't like running. It was not going to be jogging for me. And so that's all I did.
0: So so, healthy eating, bit of exercise, but you weren't suddenly training for the Noosa Triathlon or anything like that. You lose your 6.5 kilos, fantastic. You're looking great. You've kept it off. But then this question looms in your mind about the
1: 6.5 kilos itself? Yeah, it's just so much stuff. I mean, it's half a bucket of water worth of mass. A a bit more. So, that, I mean, you know, being a physics nerd, that's really a significant amount of atoms. And the first thing that would never have popped into my mind, but I've since discovered everyone has this misconception, a lot of people have this misconception, is that it can't turn into energy. But the more people I asked, the more I was discovering that most people think, oh, fat turns into energy, that's it, it's gone. But that breaks one of the big conservation laws that was discovered. In seventeen seventy four ish, which is the conservation of matter, mm-hmm. or these days we'd say the conservation of atoms in a um, in chemistry, because you, you si- simply cannot turn atoms into energy using just a human body as your instrument, mm-hmm. and that's what I am. And the other thing that I um that was resonating in my head, I'd just been researching a book for kids, which still haven't written by the way, because this <laughs> this topic got in the way. Yeah, and that book was going to be about farts, snot, poo bums, all that sort of the stuff. sort
0: of stuff kids love, but you can teach a bit of science and a bit of the anatomy of the human body, et cetera. Great, yeah. There's
1: heaps of science in there. And one of my favourite papers that I was reading was a paper about the microbial contribution to the mass of the faeces in humans. So, so, so what is it that we poo? That's right. And yeah. how much of a poo is bacteria? Yep. And the answer is amazing. It's, it's about – so three-quarters of what comes out of our bum is just water, H2O. And it's bound up with the fibre that we ate, which we couldn't digest, and the bacteria that eat those fibres. You lose about half a billion—sorry, half a trillion of those in one sitting. Half a trillion bacteria every time you sit. About five hundred billion at your back door. There you go. Okay, <laughs> something like that. I mean, the, the numbers are hard to guess because they're tiny. But anyway, the the major point is, I just read this paper, and I discovered that oh, when you go to the toilet, you only lose about 250 grams of mass. Out of that, nearly all of it's water, and the solid bit is just fibre and the bacteria that eat it. In other words, none of the 6.5 kilos I'd lost had come out the back door. Because just by having another drink of water later in the day, you're topping up the water
0: content, the fibre's minimal. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So then I just had to know, well, what, 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 what is it then? First of all, I didn't even know what fat was, as in chemically, what's it made of? What, What are the elements what are the atoms? Question number one. Question number two, how do those atoms get out of your body? Through which mode, which orifice in your body does that stuff escape?
0: So as an outsider, I'm thinking I could I could pull it out, I could wee it out, I could sweat it out, I could spit it out, I could breathe it out. It could j- just grow out of me and
1: die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, very few people ever come to the guess that you could breathe it out and I mean, I've been asking for the last three years, high school teachers, primary school teachers, kids, doctors, dietitians, personal trainers, psychologists, <laughs> a professor of public health, a professor of dietetics. And the most common answer you get is that it just turns into energy. Hardly anyone goes, oh, you might breathe out that mass. So <laughs> admittedly, I had read your book, which is how I came to. Okay. So so you you start
0: wondering about this, I should point out, we, we we probably won't have to talk too much more about faeces now, but in general with the book, uh, there is in trying to understand our diet and how food impacts us and the energy in it and what's left after we've eaten etc., there is a fair bit of freezing faeces and burning faeces and collecting urine for analysis that some very good, decent people have done to help us here.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the numbers on the pack, say you get to buy a packet of chips, it's got written on the side of it that there's something like 900 kilojoules or which is, yeah. what, 300 calories or whatever in the packet. Well, what? how do they get that number is the question. And here's how they do it. They take that food... And they burn it inside a special machine, which is called a calorimeter. First, you stick some chips in a little tight container, which is airtight. You put the food in, you screw the lid on, and you inject oxygen gas into it. So now it's a little bomb. Mm -hmm. And it's waiting to go. You're waiting to go. And it's got some electric wires that go into it. You put that whole thing in water, and you zap that food, and it burns the food and it releases heat. And you can measure how much heat just by measuring the change in the temperature of the water. Okay. That's literally it. So the more the temperature of the water went up, Mm -hmm. the more energy
0: that food has released, the more calories or kilojoules there were in that serve of chips or apple or lettuce or whatever. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just by burning it. Now, when you put that food into a human and it goes – through a human and out the other end, they'll get X amount of kilojoules out of it. But there might be a little bit left that they didn't get. And that little bit that you didn't get comes out the back door and you end up flushing that down the toilet. Uh So to find out how much is available to a human on average, you get, you feed people that stuff, chips, whatever it might be, apples. Then you collect what they uh, normally would flush, and this is a very smelly job, obviously, Mm. and then you desiccate it, you get rid of all the moisture in it, and then you burn that too.
0: And then- Compare the energy in that with the energy in the initial load of food, and you'll work out how much stayed in the body, how much passed out.
1: That's it. Okay.
0: Okay. So once you start eliminating a couple of basics, it turns out that it's not all just excreted out. Where where does your mind go to? Where do you start looking then to understand where that 6.5 kilos went? Wikipedia. There you go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Go- Dr. Google, I jumped on and uh, there's some pretty good info on Wikipedia. Um, it's a great starting point, as most people who do research know. Yeah, we should point out that it's a starting point. You did, you did end up going a little bit further. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I did hit the biochemistry books after a while because, it, I mean, the, the, the more you look, the more interesting this gets to me. Like, I'm still in the hole. I'm still down in the vortex, still reading new stuff, still thinking about, you know, what is fat? Where did the energy in fat actually even come from? All these deep...
0: As you say, the fact that there's not a simple two-line answer on Wikipedia of this is where half the weight goes, this is where a quarter of it goes, this is where 5% go, the fact that that wasn't even simply known yeah. in in 2013 is fascinating
1: in and of itself. It is. Like, this is a question that everyone should just be able to give you the answer immediately. Where does fat go? Oh, it turns into carbon dioxide and water. You'd think everyone would know that, mm. but no one seemed to remember it, by the way, I better explain that it was found out a long, long, long time ago. Just after Captain Cook sailed past, uh, well, he sailed into Botany Bay, four years later, Antoine Lavoisier, a Frenchman, mm. he figured out that, hey, when you burn a lump of wood, when you burn a candle and the wax disappears, when you burn anything organic, the mass that goes missing is turns into carbon dioxide and water. And it's true of wood, it's true of... Anything that was once alive, if you burn it, nearly all of it just turns into carbon dioxide and water. And that's what happens to fat. But, I mean, I did not know that myself.
0: And this is the interesting thing about your work. There is no disrespect. You haven't done any original research here yourself, but you've taken all these other individual pockets of knowledge we had – and synthesised them mm. into a total theory. Is that right?
1: Yep, I'm the connector of dots.
0: Okay, so how? Do, what were these dots that you discovered, and how did you connect them?
1: Um, so the, the the big dots are that um, well, Antoine Lavoisier figured out in uh, say 1774ish, or published by 1789, that that when you burn um, anything that's carbon, organic, dioxide, and carbon dioxide and water and water yeah, and nothing disappears ever so that's that's major dot the the other dot that i had to connect to figure out so the big question that i got published for was okay i started with 10 kilos of fat in my body i've lost it now it's carbon dioxide and water how many of those kilos came out of my lungs and how many turned into water that was the big question and because no, the
0: water would be sweated out urinated defecated Spat, etc., versus breathing.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, we lose a little bit of water through our lungs every day too. You see that if you if you breathe out onto a mirror, mm-hmm. you'll see that water. Um, but I was just specifically interested because water's so easy to replenish, and carbon you can only eat or drink it as a milk drink or something like that. But carbon's the key, so I wanted to know how many kilos did you did I exhale? So the other dot that I needed. To be able to connect there was to figure out in fat, fat's made out of three elements carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. So, are all carbohydrates, hence the name. Mm-hmm. Protein's only carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and a tiny bit of nitrogen and some sulfur, little tiny bit. But fat's just those three, a trinity of. Um, C H and O. Yep, that's it, baby. C H O, and just about everything we eat, just about is that. So the big question is, where it's all the carbon will come out of your lungs as carbon dioxide. That's C and some of the O's, C O two. Yep, that's right. And all of the H's will come out of as water, H two O. Boom. But the big question is, out of fat, which is by mass, a kilo of fat contains about eleven, uh, sorry, one hundred and ten grams of um, oxygen. So it's easier if you scale up. Out of 10 kilos of fat, about 1 kilo, 1.1 kilos is oxygen atoms. Yep. Where do they go? To answer my question really precisely, where did all the fat go, which, you know, all of the carbon, hydrogen and oxygen, I had to figure out where does the oxygen go? And there was a just a big dot to connect there. And it was, this was published in 1949, the answer to that question. And it was just a beautiful experiment with mice. Um, A guy called Nathan Lifson uh, at the University of Minnesota, he took mice and he injected them with water, which the water molecules had the oxygen atoms. We call it labelling, but it was just a heavier version of oxygen atoms, an isotope, oxygen 18. So being these heavier molecules, you can, you can, uh, atoms, you can find them again with a thing called a mass spectrometer. And what he found this still gives me goosebumps. What he found is that when you poke this water into a mouse, or if you give it to it to drink, some of that oxygen that went in as water comes back out as carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So the oxygen atoms are being swapped between those molecules. And, um, and that gave me the answer to my question. The fact that that happens and the ratio it happens in, I could figure out that, ah, right, well, out of 10 kilos... of them will come out of you as CO2. That's the magic number, 8.4 or 84%. So if I
0: lose 10 kilos over time, I've breathed out 8.4 kilos of that 10 kilos I've lost. You can understand why no one assumes that. You can understand why that surprises people, can't you? It's it's quite counterintuitive.
1: It's so counterintuitive. That's why it took until Antoine Lavoisier to come along and put what the prevailing theory before he came along was, was called phlogiston theory, mm. and it got consigned now to how the How's that scr- going these days? Yeah. But that's right. When I'm talking to kids about it or adults, I, I, I like to r- remind them that don't, don't think that your doctor, just because your doctor maybe would have said energy, that doesn't make your doctor any less of a good doctor. It's just so counterintuitive mm. that we breathe out the, the mass that goes in. I'm talking with
0: Ruben Meerman about his book, Big Fat Myths, When you lose weight, where does the fat go? One of the great things you talk about in the book is now that you've learnt this and you speak to people about it, um, the two most popular questions you're asked are now that you've explained that theory to me, and I'm I'm trying to lose a bit of weight myself at the moment, doing some exercise, feeling quite good about it. Am I losing weight now? (laughs) Because I just breathed out a lot more
1: then than I normally would have in 10 seconds. I must have lost a a gramme. You've, well, it's nine milligrams per breath, so if you've just done 10 breaths there by the sounds of it, nearly, 10 times 9, 90 milligrams of carbon just okay. came out of you. So by breathing harder and faster, can I? Am I losing more weight? And is that
0: therefore a successful method of weight loss?
1: Yeah, well, uh, so you are during the the time that you're doing that breathing, definitely you, the the rate is up. But if you keep going, you're hyperventilating, and after a while, you'll just your body will stop you doing that. And I mean, if you don't believe me, just give it a shot. Just just <laughs> sit there and breathe and breathe, and you'll get tingly, and all sorts of things can happen. You can even faint mm. from um, hyperventilating. So the thing to remember there is where does the action really happen? It's not really your lungs that are making the weight loss happen. Every single cell in your body is alive. Every single one of them needs energy and it gets it from breaking down carbohydrates, fats, and protein. And that happens in your big toe. It happens in your kidney cells. It happens in every single living cell in your whole body contributes a little bit to your weight loss so um hyperventilating won't do it but moving your muscles more that's what does it
0: so, that, that's what increases the rate so if in, instead of just sitting here breathing really hard into the microphone and freaking myself out with the sound of it i must admit yeah. if instead i now go for a jog mm-hmm. and do some push-ups mm-hmm. i'm making my body my body demand more energy that's right I'm converting, I'm attacking more fat and converting it into its CHs and O's?
1: That's right. That's right. But uh, absolutely. Um, the one thing that I've really tried to drill in Chapter 7 of my book is about exercise versus physical activity because, you know, when, when we talk about weight loss, we tend to think, oh, well, I need to go for a jog then. I need to do all these kind of things we associate with mm. weight loss, which all tend to be very worky, outy, runny, joggy, very intense. You've made it clear already you're not big on that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, I do it now. I didn't at the beginning. As a starting point, you don't need to go to any of those lengths. You can just go for a long walk. That'll, that'll do it. Um, that'll raise your metabolic rate four times. You'll be losing weight four times faster than when you're sitting still. And just because going on that long walk, I'll be breathing in, breathing out, and most of the weight I'll lose during that time is in the breaths? Yeah, all of the weight you lose pretty much. um, You lose a bit of water as well, obviously. But um, it's all about your metabolic rate. What is your metabolic rate? Your metabolic rate is how much oxygen you're consuming and how much CO2 you're producing per minute. Compared to normal, just sitting around doing not much. Yeah, so what we call the resting metabolic rate is what, how much oxygen you're consuming, just sitting very still, very quiet. That is whatever number it is for your body. And everyone's a little bit different because some people are heavier, some are smaller, some are more fat, some are more muscled, yada, yada. But when you get up, just when you stand up from sitting down, you double your metabolic rate just because you're not sitting down. If you do your hair in front of a mirror, you're going at two and a half times the resting metabolic rate. If you tidy up the house with a little bit of extra zing. (laughs) you're going at about four and a half times the resting metabolic rate. Now, the fastest you can get your metabolic rate is sprinting flat out. And this is all in the compendium of physical activities, a great resource. Mm -hmm. 23 times faster your metabolic rate is when you're sprinting at flat out as hard as you can go, but you can only do that for about a minute max. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're um, going for a pretty good jog Gets it up to about nine, ten times uh, the resting metabolic rate. Yoga. So here's a question that's related to the, can I just breathe more? Yes. A lot of people think that, oh, that means yoga is this incredibly good weight loss.
0: (sighs) Yeah. It's all about breathing, man. However. I'm not doing much physical activity within
1: that, am I? No. And. I'm not knocking yoga. It's wonderful. for People love it. It's great. It's good for your body in so many ways. But if it's your weight loss strategy, no. it's no better than walking. The
0: second question you're often asked is, so if a lot of people decided to lose weight all of a sudden, if I'm losing weight and I'm pumping out CO2,
1: does that mean I'm contributing to global warming?
0: Would it be better if I stayed fat?
1: Are you a carbon sink would be the other way to mm, to, mm. Um, to ask that. And um, the answer to that is no. It, you don't really contribute – well, you don't at all contribute to climate change because even though it's the same molecule, CO2, that's the troubled molecule that we spit out of fossil fuels, and it's identical to the ones you're exhaling, the difference between them is the ones that come out of fossil fuels a year or two ago, they were buried under the ground and they would have stayed there. But we dug them out of the ground and pumped them into the atmosphere. Whereas the ones that we breathe out, a year ago, the carbon that I'm and you right now are exhaling was in a plant. Well, it might have been in, in the atmosphere and it went into a plant and then the plant photosynthesized it into glucose mm-hmm. and then maybe cellulose or then maybe lignin or all the other things, maybe turned it into fat. And then we ate it and it was in the form of glucose now, that carbon atom. There's a whole bunch of them. And we didn't turn them back into carbon dioxide and water. So that's called the modern carbon cycle. And even if you do take all your weight with you to the grave, let's say, you know, you're morbidly obese, you've weighed 250 mm-hmm. kilos or something. When you die, all of that weight is going to turn back into carbon dioxide and water. If you're cremated, it'll happen really quick in a crematorium. If you are buried in in the ground, you'll still be decomposing. and so, so don't worry about causing climate change. One of the great things in Ruben's book, uh,
0: Big Fat Myths, at the end of each chapter you publish the sort of, here's the take-home messages from this chapter, which is a great way to distill down the material that's there and also a great way that people can just flash through the book and really get the the key points. Um, so in, at the end of one of your chapters, page 245, the take-home messages from this chapter are, it's very difficult to outrun A muffin. So you've explained to me my running is important, Mm -hmm. and running increases my physical activity, knocks up my metabolic rate, means I'm breathing out more carbon, I'm
1: losing weight, but I can't outrun a muffin. It's very hard to outrun a muffin in an hour because in an hour um, you'll do. So if you're running, you'll exhale. uh, It's something like fifty grams of carbon um or for, about 40 grams of carbon comes out of your lungs if you look at all the carbon in a muffin just if you get the just look at the packet it says it tells you how much carbohydrate there is how much protein how much fat you can from that very easily calculate how many carbon atoms end up in your body and you can also calculate very easily how quickly they come back out again through breath so in about an hour yeah you you'll just exhale all of the carbon atoms that you just put in with a muffin and a cappuccino, so <laughs> that doesn't make muffins bad. By the way, no, 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 no. We, we need food. Some of my best friends. <laughs> but the the important thing is what
0: the, the the point you're making there is, even if you are being physically active and boosting the metabolic rate, etc. It's quite easy with energy dense food mm. to tip the scales, forgive the pun, back the other way, That's right. in, in just a, a, a few minutes of entertaining those desires.
1: That's right. And it's worth remembering, because people get very confused about kilojoules, they're very, very confusing things. They don't really exist as a substance. They are what holds atoms together. And so uh, if you're wondering why does counting kilojoules work or calories work, it's because every calorie that you eat is stuck between two atoms. And the atoms have the kilograms and the thing that holds them together is the kilojoules. It's like when you hold two magnets near each other, you can feel them pulling, but that feeling has no mass. Does that make sort of some kind of sense? It does, it does. Take me through a few other things on the diet
0: nonsense hit list. The first one is we don't turn fat into energy. That's a fundamental misunderstanding. Give me another couple of things that people have always assumed that now that you've
1: done your research are clearly wrong. Um, So a good one is that um, there are people who struggle to lose weight more than others because of some kind of metabolic problem that they have or a Mm -hmm. slow metabolism. Mm -hmm. So when you get a whole bunch of people and you measure their metabolic rates and then you divide that by their mass, you find out that actually all their metabolic rates are roughly the same. In fact, that means if you're heavier, like a bigger person, whether it's you're heavier because of fat or because of muscle, your metabolic rate is actually faster than someone who's not as heavy as you. So there is no sort of uh, curse that people are living with that they have this remarkably slow metabolism that's, that's causing all the problems. No one's ever found it. It's one of the biggest um, myths. And there's also no such thing as this lucky skinny friend who can eat everything, like an insincorator. And never put on any weight. There are some theories that there are
0: different different variations of the microbes in your gut, and so some, you know, two people could eat the same thing. One
1: person would, you know, process the vast bulk of it. Someone else it would just pass through. Is there any merit in that? That's based on some research with mice, and definitely with um, these mice. If you feed different mice with this different bunch of microbes in their guts the same diet. Some of them put on more weight than the others. So those microbes seem to be able to contribute a bit to your weight gain. But when you look at it in humans, um, unfortunately, it doesn't explain why some people are really obese. They do have different gut bugs. The causal link has not been established, by the way. It's, there's a lot of people out there saying that it's all done and dusted, and yep, it's your gut bugs. It's That is not actually proven in the literature. And the other thing to remember about that is, If the gut bugs are going to eat it, you still have to eat it first so that the Mm -hmm. remedy, even if it was true, which it's not quite for humans, it's not really causing us to gain weight. There is changes in your gut bugs if you eat a junk diet, like if you eat burgers and stuff all the time, you can see a change in people's um, gut bugs, but- Is that the cause of their obesity or is that a result of the food that they're eating? And it looks like it's the other way around. So that's a a big one, metabolism. And there are just these unlucky people who can't, who eat food and just get heaps more energy and weight out of it does not exist the skinny friend by the way the person that you might know mm. who you go oh man look at them go again they're eating a burger and this and that and the other thing you have to follow them for 24 hours and yes. really check what's going on and you'll find that they've probably got um they're very jittery so the the name for the extra physical activity they do is called fidgeting mm-hmm. um and it burns up an incredible amount of energy so you know the, again Then there's the other really big myth about how to lose weight is that there's a better way to do it. Like um, diets can do more if they have, say, low carb versus low fat. One of the things, like the Atkins diet, for example, says it's, you know, the the added
0: benefit is you go into a state of ketosis Mm -hmm. where your body just starts burning through Mm. all the excess fat. It just, just destroys it because you've had a very high protein, say, just all meat done does the process of ketosis
1: do anything it's a definitely a real process it's quite interesting it gets a bit technical what really happens is your your fat instead of being burnt through a process called beta oxidation every biochemistry student learns about it that happens inside your mitochondria and it's it's a a, a process that happens directly to the fat inside each muscle cell for instance whereas When you go on a low-carb diet or if you're starving, if you're just eating nothing, then what your liver does is it gets the fat and it goes to your liver first instead of to your muscles straight away. And your liver turns it into – fat turns into acetone, same stuff you use to remove nail polish, for real, like actual (laughs) acetone. And you can smell that on people's breath when they are in that state. Um, Then there's another substance called acetoacetate and a third one called beta-hydroxybutyrate. So those three substances then get released by your liver, go into your bloodstream, circulate and get burnt in your cells in much the same way. But that ketosis state, the guy I co-authored my paper in the British Medical Journal about all this, um, his name's Professor Andrew Brown. He has an interesting theory about ketosis, which is that that beta-hydroxybutyrate that your liver makes out of the fat that you're burning, BHB... It's almost identical chemically to GHB, gamma-hydroxybutyrate, also known as grievous bodily harm, also Mm. known as liquid ecstasy, also known as um, fantasy, it's a date rape drug. Known as a really, kids, I'm not telling you how to live your lives, but
0: lay off the GHB. (laughs)
1: That's the stuff? Yeah. So Andrew Brown's um, hypothesis published in 2007 is that, hey, that BHB might be acting on the brain in a very similar way to GHB which your body also makes, by the way. GHB is mm. made in your brain. So maybe one of the things that people who are on a low-carb diet are experiencing is a bit of euphoria mm-hmm. from this, it's almost like a drug that comes out of your liver. So it's just a hypothesis. It hasn't been proved, but it's very intriguing. But back to the weight loss side of it, will, will it be better for you as a weight loss strategy to go low carb or low fat, it really depends on you and your own appetite and how well you adapt to the ketosis. Some people love it and therefore, great, that's the right diet for mm-hmm. them and if they stick to it, perfect. That it is, is, is exactly still
0: energy in, energy out. I'm talking with one of Australia's great science communicators, Big Fat Myths is the book by Ruben Meerman. In wrapping it up, is there a healthy weight range, a healthy weight loss Range, I said earlier, I'd heard you know, 0.5 of a kilo is a better way to go than to try and lose three kilos a week. Is there a healthy, sensible
1: way for people to lose a significant amount of weight? The most you can go is by eating absolutely nothing, and you'll lose about 330 grams a day, two and a bit, maybe three kilos a week if you just eat nothing. So that's about your sort of limit that you say is there. Is that unhealthy? Not really. Um, it depends on you, and I mean, total fasting can be very dangerous. People have died. So there's no real healthy way to lose weight. The world records there. We know that it's a guy lost 125 kilos in in um, 382 days by eating nothing. Mm. He didn't die. He lived. Uh, everything was fine. But look, for most people, if you want to keep eating and feeling kind of okay, it it really depends on you and how you feel. But between half a kilo to a kilo a week is is about where most doctors and dietitians would say aim for that and. Um, if you're not getting there, it's because you're still eating too much. How long before we get the book on kids' poo and snot, Reuben? Oh, I'm going to have to crack that one out, aren't I?
0: <laughs> so to speak. Thank you so much for walking us through. As I said, it's one of the great popular science books of the last few years. When you lose weight, where does the fat go? Big Fat myths. Reuben Meerman, thanks for your time. Thank you. If you want to hear more big questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon.